Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Duberbeck from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week in tech, the DOJ finally, uh, long rumored and long expected uh, case was filed against Google, an antitrust case uh, in a, a very similar move to the antitrust case that they filed against Microsoft arguing that, uh, that Google has over many years uh, developed a monopoly and uh, the, the case proposes that Google has used restrictive contracts to protect that dominant position. Um, it's looked at a number of, of those contracts, including the 8 billion to 12 billion that it pays Apple to be the default search provider. Uh, Google, of course, arguing that, oh, no, 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 there's lots of competitors out there. We are just one of many search engines, and uh, all people have to do is go in and, and change the default or you know, pretty much do uh, anything else that they may, may want to, uh, to change. Ross, what's your read on the first of potentially many antitrust cases to come? That This has been... Uh, bubbling in Washington for uh, really for many years, bipartisan concern around uh, big tech and not just their influence, but also how they're how they're uh, continuing to maintain that influence, and that ultimately is where the antitrust case. Yeah, bi bipartisan concern, uh, although at least um, from um, Jim Jordan, you know, there was a comment about. Uh, big tech uh, uh, sort of from a, a censorship angle. That was also something that he brought up during the congressional hearings uh, with uh, some of the, the big tech leaders. Uh, regarding, regarding search, Sean, I, I think it's funny you mentioned Microsoft because uh, certainly that was about Windows back in the day, but there was also a lot of uh, regulatory, re regulatory scrutiny uh, when Microsoft was dominant in the browser market with Internet Explorer, uh, and uh, you know you really weren't allowed to change the uh, the default uh, browser, Microsoft's argument was that the browser was integral to the operating system, uh, but ultimately, of course, uh, it did allow you to change defaults for the browser and and a number of other uh, applications. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, it was only recently in iOS 14 uh, that Apple uh, allowed users to change the default browser uh, and, and email uh, clients. So that uh, I think just happened uh, just just a few weeks ago when when iOS 14 was released. But uh, but as we were saying, you know, it is it is possible uh, to go into Chrome, to go into an Android. Uh, uh, device to go into an iOS device uh, and change the the browser. Uh, the challenge has been that uh, there just hasn't been a lot of, I think, incentive for for users to do it. I mean, uh, Google produces uh, high quality search results, uh, and uh, that's not to say there are no reasons. I mean, uh, for example, uh, one competitor, DuckDuckGo, has. Uh, really focused on, on a privacy angle that uh, has had appeal to a certain segment of the user base, but 
but it just hasn't been a strong enough motivator uh, for people to to go in and select that option if it's uh, if it's available. Of course, the longest running uh, competitor has been the Bing uh, search engine, uh, and uh, they have tried to produce all kinds of incentives, uh, literally rewarding users to use the the search engine. Uh, but that that really hasn't been enough uh, either. I, I think Google, you know, has just become so entrenched in the in the zeitgeist. You know, it, it's transcended, uh, you know, being being an offering. And of course, you know, we use it all the time now as a verb, right? You know, let's Google this, let's Google right. that. Right. Uh, and so it, it's just very tough, I think, for for competitors to overcome that. Yeah, Kent Walker writing on the, the Google blog, he's the SVP of Global Affairs, wrote that uh, people use Google because they choose to, not because they're forced to or because they can't find alternatives. And uh, and again, kind of hits at the what we talked about last week, the art of antitrust regulation is to ultimately protect the customer. And so they, they hit on that quite mm. hard in, in the blog post saying this lawsuit would do nothing to help consumers. To the contrary, it would artificially prop up low quality search alternatives, raise phone prices, and make it harder for people to get the search services they want to use. So, uh, you know, speaking to the, the, the money that changes hands between Google and, and Apple, arguing that the, if those transactions didn't take place, then Apple would be presumably charging more for their phones. And so Google is indirectly subsidizing phone purchases or, or well or, I, I think that's more the case on Android you know uh, because Google can't afford to give away Android without charging for it in part because you know they know it's going to be a, a strong platform for uh, Google services primarily search which is the main monetization engine so so if uh, if they were forced to for example uh, offer a, a random search engine uh, at uh, when you turn on the phone uh, that would uh, you know that 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 would uh, lower the value proposition of, of having freely distributable Android for for Google and Sean to your point you know uh, they're saying that uh, uh, yes people are free to change but that's not to say there's no value in being the default uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be paying, you know, close to or around ten billion dollars a year to Apple uh, to be that default uh, selection for uh, for Apple. And and again, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Apple feels as if, uh, in part, um, obviously the profit motive is a strong one, uh, but you know, maybe it also feels that it uh, it wants to charge egregious rates uh, because you know uh, Google Google is a a, a, a strong competitor. You know, it, it, it produces the, it drives the main competition to, uh, to the iPhone. Uh, and so if it's going to, uh, you know, do business with a competitor, it, it's not going to want to offer very favorable terms uh, to that competitor. And, and yet on the flip side, you know, talking about the user experience, uh, I think that's something that Apple is uh, very concerned about. And uh, I can, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on the record here and say if Apple were to decide tomorrow that it's changing default search engines to Bing, uh, you know, there would be uh, there would be an uproar, you know. And, and, and I, I think, as I recall, there were rumors about that a few years ago when 
there was a whole, uh, there, there were a lot of, uh, there, there was more active contention uh, between Apple and Google on things like like Google Voice and and, uh, and other things. So, so yes, I mean it. Uh, Google definitely makes it worth Apple's while, uh, but they get a lot from uh, Apple in terms of uh, even even the restricted amount of user data uh, Apple provides, and of course it gives them a virtually uh, you know very holistic view of of what people are doing on their mobiles between the iPhone and, and Android devices. Well, and, and Google and their blog posts show that uh, Bing and Yahoo pay Apple to be featured in Safari. And that they also show how easy it is. They actually go through almost a tutorial of how easy it is to switch the, the default browser for your given device, whether you're in Microsoft Edge, on Android devices, how, how to uh, set a search widget on Android and they kind of show all the different ways that you could go in and switch the, the browser. Um, so where does this go? I mean, presumably Google has been fighting much more difficult battles uh, with respect to antitrust in Europe. So this will be a, a battle that they will, will fight. Um, probably, you know, at, le at least on the surface, could easily be victorious here. Um, does it o open up? I mean, there are some suggestions that perhaps this sets the scene for Congress to act, and Congress could, could come in and set uh, legislation in place that will make it more difficult for these large companies to, large tech companies to operate and, and take full advantage of their, their monopoly power. And, and, and my sense is this is not something that goes away. Uh, technology and, and digitization create these kind of massive network effects. And we see it in, in every market where technology is prevalent and arguably will become more, more prevalent over time as more markets are digitized and, and, and datafied, if you will, is that uh, you're going to have companies that have commanding market share for their respective spaces because of the because of the economies to scale and and the network effects that kind of kick in for these big companies so maybe this just sets up uh legislation moving forward that uh, congress can step in and say okay here's how we're going to set up these markets moving forward yeah i i'm not quite sure what what a remedy would be and and i understand that you know that's something that typically starts to get discussed uh deeper into the the lawsuit process uh it's it's not necessarily about breaking up google right it's not talking about at least you know as, as far as the the doj investigation is concerned the doj lawsuit it's not about uh, Google using its dominance in search to drive Android dominance or to drive Chrome dominance. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just really focused on search, although I would imagine if they would force Google to divest some of those pieces or, as I said, randomly insert uh, some other component, uh, because as you know, Sean, there, there is, you know, the user can make a choice today uh, but just doesn't have a lot of motivation to do so. So if in the name of uh, fostering more aggressive competition, uh, you know, re regulators could say, okay, you know, you, you have to 
uh, randomly give half of the Android phones edge as the default browser, right? Or uh, you have to randomly assign Bing, you know, to, to ha or, or DuckDuckGo. Yeah, know, or, you, you, you uh, can't sell exclusivity ultimately, right? I mean, so this, this it, is- it, You can't sell the default. Right. Maybe that maybe that's the, the remedy. Yeah. So. Which would be interesting because then that ultimately is not on Google as, as much as it is, is on the the device manufacturer and the device provider who's who's selling that default uh, positioning. So all of that would have to have to change. Um you you wonder if we couldn't see some of that show up in in the battles with Amazon as well, where one of the arguments right now that Amazon is facing, one of the, the complaints that Amazon is facing and could potentially be antitrust complaint moving forward, a legal complaint, is that they take the information they know and they come out with Amazon basic products and then they give preference to those Amazon basic products, presumably. So when you search for a product, if Amazon Basic is a viable alternative in that space, then you'll see that high in in the search results. So, mm -hmm. so to your point, maybe uh, the remedy for Amazon is that they can't provide preference to their own products if they're in that that space. I mean, some of the arguments have gone as so far to say they can't offer uh, essentially house products. They can't offer. Mm -hmm. um, any products if they are a retailer, but of course we know that um, all retailers today are are offering. Sure, uh, and, and they all offer preference yes. you know, to a lot of their house brands. It's just not happening on the same scale uh, as it happens with, with Amazon. Uh, the other, I, I think, interesting angle to this, you know, you mentioned the, the Android uh, device companies. What happens with Apple? You know, if it can't extract that premium uh, from Google, if it's uh, uh, forbidden to, to do so, does it offer kind of a, a flat fee to to any of the major search engines, or does it just say, "Look, if we can't monetize this, forget it. You know, we'll just we'll just develop our own. You know, or we'll buy DuckDuckGo, you know, which which has a like-minded privacy." focus you know it would be it would be a good certainly uh public uh statement of a move uh from apple to do that uh because again you know i i think you know they're just uh for them it's it's just about the paycheck you know they're they're they don't really uh they don't really you know and and somewhat as i said before the experience yeah the user experience right apple, i mean apple, apple certainly has uh, more than enough data uh, from from iPhone searches uh, to develop a, a search engine rival that would be good enough, competitive, and and an excellent uh, comparison is Apple Maps, right? Where they Google was so far ahead and they booted them out, and over the course of the last few years, it's taken certainly taken some time, but they have a very competitive product today. Today, yes, now and, yeah. and arguably because of the tight integration between devices, Apple Watch, the iPhone, and and the services, that pr product in particular be could become more valuable over time, could become more useful, more more valuable, presuming that the technology continues to get uh, built out and updated. And, uh, you know, to, to that point, it's somewhat surprising that 
that Apple hasn't really um, built a search engine and, and tried to bring that to market because they do have such a, a dominance in, in devices and among users that they haven't built or, or bought someone and then made that the default. Uh, plus, plus, a, all the, plus all the Siri data. It, it would not surprise me one bit uh, if they have done exactly that, Sean, in the background, and every year they go to Google and they say, how about paying us $10 billion to not do this, you know, to not release it? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and Google says, that sounds like a good, a good idea to me. <laughs> that sounds see, like a good deal to me. See, see you again yeah. next year. Same time, same year. place. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's, uh, it, well, and so um, we'll see if, if that is the case, you know, if they were forbidden from selling the default position, if they then decided to, to bring out their own thing in the face of a lot of antitrust concerns broadly against uh, also against Apple, would that make Apple's antitrust concerns more acute? Probably. So we'll see how that, um, I don't know. I mean, the question is, does how much of a revenue model would it be for them? You know, because they're typically not big on on the revenue on adver you know driving advertising revenue. Yeah. So they might just include it as a utility, and there wouldn't there wouldn't wouldn't really raise antitrust concerns, uh, or or rather, if it did raise antitrust concerns, I don't think it would. But if it did, you know, they would just uh, abide by the same defense that they're using for uh, other services where they really are, where they really do have a very strong competitive presence, which is that. At the end of the day, we're a relatively small part of the market. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what small part of the market has become, right? Now you can have 40% of the market and be a, be a small yeah. part of the market. Really profitable, but yeah. small part and, of the market. Yeah, and, and their <laughs> argument is not that they're small, but that there are other competitors out there, that we are, oh, not, sure. the do, that we are not the dominant player right. um, by ourselves, you know, there are others uh, out there. There are viable competitors is their argument. Not that uh, they aren't dominant in their space, but they're viable competitors. Well, in other kind of related news, uh, Facebook continues to, uh, to be confronted with potential antitrust concerns. And at the same time, uh, Ross, as you pointed out, one of their, the, their big challenges is in, that they are, they take their market power, they take feature sets that are attractive in other platforms and, and other products, and they integrate those into Facebook properties. Uh, stories showing up in Instagram being one of the more notable examples, taking that uh, from Snap from a competitor and integrating that into Instagram. And, and there are other examples, of course. Uh, this week we see news that uh, Nextdoor, the app popular for sharing your ring doorbell uh, uh, footage and, you know, kind of getting a, getting a scoop on the uh, what's happening in the neighborhood. Anytime there's a siren in my neighborhood, people are always posting on, uh, you know, on Nextdoor, what, what's going on. Anytime there's any uh, loud bang at all, People always are questioning whether that was a, a gunshot or not mm -hmm. and, and who else heard it. Helicopters I've seen. So it, it's kind of any noise in the neighborhood, stray cats, you name it, that, <laughs> that seems to show up on next door. Uh, so now as they start to look at a potential IPO and as they've garnered a lot of, of consumer attention 
in and around the, the neighborhood. Uh, it looks like Facebook is considering launching some services that will allow you to connect more closely with your neighbors and share like information, presumably. Um, and, and does this raise, does this kind of solidify those face, those antitrust concerns that Facebook just takes the best features from their competitors and integrates it into their platform? Uh, at the same time, we've talked a lot in the past on the podcast that, uh, that Facebook has in many, many instances tried to do some of these things and not been successful, yeah. that, that they don't have ultimate market power and they can't simply roll out everything that they uh, still struggle to, to garner attention. And they've bought a number of, of competing apps and features that they have ultimately shuttered because they weren't able to successfully roll them out or integrate them or, or continue them on. So uh, we'll see what, what ultimately happens here if it actually ends up being successful. But we continue to see Facebook eyeing anybody at all that is uh, around their uh, their outer walls. Well, they also seem to have been more successful. I, I certainly agree, Sean. They've, they've had somewhat of a of a mixed record. Uh, so the example that's always pointed to is how they incorporated stories uh, from uh, you know one of Snapchat's most compelling features into Instagram, uh, and that was very successful. But more recently, uh, they tried uh, going after TikTok. Uh, and uh, you know that that effort hasn't been as successful. Uh, so, um, but but nonetheless, Instagram seems to have been the uh, you know the, the main uh, vehicle by by which they've tried that. I don't think they've done it as much in kind of the core service. I mean, we've talked a lot about how they've added a lot of video over the years, and they've tried to go after YouTube, but. You know, YouTube, of course, uh, still thriving. Uh, you know, some of it may have to do with the different demographics uh, attracted to those services. Uh, I think that also uh, may maybe there's something to the argument that Stories was more. You know, Snapchat was a more uh, direct competitor to Instagram, uh, so so it was easier to migrate. You know, this, uh, migrating Stories was a better fit. Uh, for the Facebook audience, whereas TikTok is perhaps uh, a bit too far removed, right? Um, so, you know, one of, the, one of the things that may be happening here is that uh, Instagram was very good at, at uh, picking up the stories feature. That may have just been a, a more natural kind of feature for, for the Instagram uh, uh, audience, whereas TikTok uh, may, may have just uh, uh, not, not been close enough or relevant enough to... Um, to really resonate uh, with that audience. It, it, you could argue that it's even attracting a younger uh, cohort uh, than uh, Snapchat was when, when Instagram made those moves. Um, so, you know, I think this, uh, this neighborhood uh, watch thing, uh, to me, it, it, it does seem like a legitimate outgrowth of, uh, of the group's function, you know, that they've been pushing very hard uh, over the past uh, two years. Um, it's kind of funny because it, it does have this sort of real world security uh, kind of angle where uh, that's something that, that they've been challenged with in the past. And, and I think it also ties into uh, a point I've, uh, or an observation I've had about Facebook for many years is that they, they just don't do, I think, a great job 
of uh, launching services that provide high utility, you know, as, a, as opposed to Google. Um, and I think that helps build loyalty. So uh, I, don't, I don't think this would be a difference maker for any Facebook user, uh, but, uh, but it, it, it could be viewed more positively uh, than, you know, a, a lot of the, the things that they have in the service now. Yeah, it's interesting, your point about not providing high utility, and obviously people who use Facebook heavily probably love the, the intangible utility, I guess, that they're, that they're garnering from seeing family photos and keeping up with friends and, and other things like that. It, you know, and, sure, emotional impact. Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly yeah. give that. Yeah. But not perhaps maybe transactional outside of marketplace, which is very mm -hmm. transactional and and has become, if you will, the the yard sale of of the digital world, you know, and wanting to sell products to to people in the area. It seems that uh, seems to work better, at least in my area, than say Craigslist. People feel uh, Facebook actually. Oh from kind of a peer-to-peer -peer thing as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, so I think what, what I hear as I talk to people about it is that it actually, they find that transacting on Facebook has greater security than transacting mm -hmm. on something like a, a Craigslist because it's tied to a real identity. Uh, and, right, right. And, and, and Nextdoor too has, you know, a real identity where you're confirming your address and some other things like that. So it's... It's interesting how important that is becoming in a digital world when it comes to transacting. You know, there's just enough spam and scams out there that that are driving a real return on identity. And Facebook has identity, so maybe they'll start to leverage that more as they enter into uh, to other markets. What I see is that Facebook still just can't quite get away from its roots, which was originally connecting college students with their peers. And so uh, the, obviously as those college students grew up, then it was connecting alumni with other alumni, you know, that they had interacted with when they were on campus and now live in distant locales. So it's great at connecting people who are, who are living apart in different cities, family, friends. Um, but next door is about connecting people who are on the same block, who are in the same neighborhood, and so it'll be interesting to see if, if Facebook can push groups in that direction. Definitely, they're trying to drive groups to, to, more, uh, to be more important to the platform and really driving that, as I see it, around common interests and, uh, you know, the things that, that people, helping you find the book club that you want to join or the, you know, the writer support group that you want to join. So it's all around these kind of common interests and, um, and even the yard sale sites, you could argue are, are common interests. People who are trying to buy and sell products. Um, I, I came across one the other day that, that lets people who have backyard chickens uh, sell eggs to other people who want to buy eggs from people who have backyard chickens. So there's these kind of informal networks that are, that are developing. Whereas, um, you know, Nextdoor has kind of served a different purpose, but there are some overlaps. And so we'll see how, how Facebook, you know, if Facebook can make the transition to get everyone in a geographic space to buy into a, to a common group and see how that might, uh, might that work. 
and in, in final news, uh, what we wanted to touch on this week is the uh, demise of Quibi, something that we have really talked about from the very beginning. And I think, Ross, uh, we, we both liked the idea. We saw the potential for the idea until uh, we moved into a pandemic and nobody was kind of watching content on their phones in the back of Ubers as they were going from restaurant to to home, you know, we saw it, the potential to um, to target an audience that was always on the go, and now all of a sudden we moved into an environment where very few of us are on the go, and so from from the very beginning, Quibi was was struggling, and we kind of saw this demise uh, coming, and so it was with heavy heart that they uh, cl- shuttered Quibi and, and shut down, and they're starting to look at selling the assets, selling any of the IP that they've built over, uh, over that time. And um, at, at the same time, you've got Apple TV moving into a lot of uh, kind of new spaces as they continue to build out that environment. We saw news this week that the Apple TV app will reach the PS4 and the PS5. And so that uh, is news. We also saw, if you're a, a big Charlie Brown fan, those have always been shown on over-the-air television, one of the, the longest-running over-the-air television experiences, if you will, that, that happens every year, Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin and, and some of the other kind of classic Charlie Brown seasonal uh, shows are moving to Apple TV, you will still be able to see them for free, at least for now. But uh, those are moving away from the the over-the-air channels that they have been and, and network channels that have sponsored those and moving those to, to Apple TV. So we see a- Apple TV continuing to build out uh, their platforms. We also saw this week the announcement that they would be Uh, that they're starting an Apple Music TV, which is a free 24-hour curated live stream of popular music videos. It's right now only available in the the U.S. on Apple Music and and TV apps, but could could presumably move to other markets if uh, those rights are available. So it it felt to me like it's the the MTV of Apple TV. Yes. And... uh, I want my Apple TV. Right. Yeah. yeah, you know, to me, this is uh, this is a story of runway. Uh, it's it's kind of funny to look at these two services, certainly different services, but but both started kind of from the ground up, no existing content library. Uh, both ag- aggressively recruited Hollywood, uh, top Hollywood talent, uh, and uh, in fairness or in defense uh, of. Uh, uh, you know, Meg, Meg Whitman and, and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg in their uh, blog post announcing the, the shutting down, you know, they, they certainly mentioned the pandemic, but they also acknowledge, hey, there were other businesses that somehow figured out a way to get through it, you know, so they don't, you know, they'll never, they say they'll never know for sure uh, if, there w- if it was the pandemic or, you know, something about the content or the offering. Uh, I, I just think, you know, the timing was bad not only uh, in, in terms of uh, COVID-19, but also this rush of, of other big brand, you know, huge content libraries uh, vying for consumer attention, right? 
everyone knows the brand Disney. You know, every not everyone may know the brand. Uh, everyone knows the brand HBO, right? And then you know, coming in as HBO Max, you know, they didn't call it uh, whatever Warner Warner TV. Uh, but uh, but anyway, um, the uh, and and so I you know they 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 just ran out. They had to spend a lot to build the brand, sixty three million dollars. Uh, in six months to to try to build the brand and 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 ex educate uh, the the user on sort of this new concept of uh, of, of shorter uh, shorter TV episodes. Um, so uh, so I think you know they they just ran out of runway. Whereas Apple, uh, of course, has immense resources and is being able to to make these kinds of investments. Uh, so, so the, the Apple TV video channel, right, that'll, that'll be free, uh, I, I believe. Uh, and, uh, and as you mentioned, the, the, uh, the Charlie Brown specials, those will also be free. So, so these are, are, you know, again, at least for now, so these are, you know, expenditures that it can make, investments that it can make to continue to raise awareness. They don't have to do any brand building you know, A, because everybody knows who Apple is, and B, they don't have to, you know, worry about distribution because it's right there on the iPhone. You know, a, a, a you know, far, uh, far, far more than adequate, adequately fertile platform uh, on which to launch a service like this or any of the other services that they're doing. So, uh, so you know, it's kind of unfortunate. There was definitely some quirky programming on Quibi uh, no, no doubt. Uh, but, um, you know, hopefully some of it will, uh, will find a home for, for the fans. Well, I think you're, I think you bring up a lot of great points, Ross. I think to your point, this idea that, uh, content matters and what you have on the platform matters, uh, to, to Disney plus, not only do people know the Disney plus name, but they also know the great oh, rich content, an, right? Yeah, you just franchise as an entertainment, yes, you know, right. So, so people are going for those. And, and, you know, as we see theaters continue to be shut because of the pandemic and, and go under because of the pandemic, uh, and we see windowing collapse, you know, Disney Plus is very well positioned where they could roll out brand new movie releases right onto the platform. Um, I mean, and Disney has a long history, actually, of, of being very successful at doing limited launches on VHS of their, you know, their movies and everybody rushes out because they know they're not going to be able to buy them all the time. And so they've done that for decades now. And, and I think they'll, you know, continue to have a lot of success with Disney plus and they can use it as essentially a, a way to release uh, new movies with short windows. I think, and to your point with Apple TV, you see them making, investments in content that people know to building out not only new content that hopefully catches on that makes people want to subscribe to the services but also legacy content that people know and this was the netflix model obviously and, and arguably the amazon prime model as well to some extent where you bring the content that people know and they keep coming back for that and then while they're there you introduce them to new content and i think apple started with a lot of new content early on, I think you need to see them bring back some of those, those fan favorites that will get people comfortable with the platform, socialize the platform a little bit. And as well, you need 
uh, ubiquitous access to the platform. So this announcement that it will be available in the, the PS4, the PS5, I think that's that's a good move by Apple. And it shows they're very committed to making this uh, successful, making Apple TV successful. And they need to have it show up everywhere. They need e- easy access to it. You know, we uh, we've talked about how YouTube and Netflix and to some extent Amazon Prime have done a great job of, of being available on every screen, showing up on, uh, you know, remote controls so that you can quickly, easily get to uh, Netflix. And then they have both a mix of, of old content and original content, which keeps people coming back. So Apple TV is, is, looks like they're they're committed to going down that path but they still i think have a long way to go and it'll be interesting to see if they buy any of the the quibi assets if there's any content that they might want if there's any other uh, intellectual property that might be interesting to them obviously quibi was optimized for a a mobile phone environment and uh, so it could be interesting to see if um if there's any intellectual property there that might be of value to uh, to Apple. It's notable that Quibi shut down and still had cash on hand. They're returning cash to investors. So I think they, they, they tried a lot of different things as they noted in their blog post and decided it was best to shut down now and return, return cash and sell assets. So, um, and, 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 uh, Quibi, Quibi had, you know, the overwhelming majority of stuff uh, on there was original shows, but but they had dabbled a bit with known franchises. They had our, they brought back Reno nine one one. There there may have been some other ones. Uh, just just a, a last comment on Apple uh, and the runway notion. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago they reported that they were going to extend free trials uh, for. Uh, people who had um, uh, signed up for Apple TV. That's generally not the move you would expect if uh, take up was was going through the roof. So uh, just again, just a good example of how they could they can use their resources to uh, buy them a bit more runway to, you know, there, there may be uh, they're probably excited about the iPhone five, uh, iPhone 12 uh, and and you know what 5G can bring to. Uh, Apple TV Plus concession, so uh, uh, so so this uh, this provides a bit more exposure. And the last thing is that they they may uh, be looking at kind of their first hit or, or yeah. kind of their first at least cult classic with Ted Lasso, definitely, uh, which is getting a lot of acclaim and and really uh, it's you know kind of the poised to perhaps become their Sopranos or. Or, or House of Cards, uh, which, which was really the breakouts for those services. Yes, yeah, t- totally agree. In fact, I had someone say to me this week, I feel like I need to subscribe to Apple TV because I want to see Ted Lasso. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that a few more hits like that and you will see subscription uptake. To your point, they can, they, they can afford to build a very long runway for a very long time. Uh, what's interesting is they're extending free trials at the same time Netflix is ending free trials in the in the U.S. So uh, Netflix has presumed that anybody who who can try Netflix has tried it for free at least once, if not multiple times, and so they're uh, bringing that to an end in the U.S. So, but but also historically Netflix hadn't put anything outside the paywall, and right. now you know they're, they're experimenting with a little bit a little bit of that. So. 
So changing tactics. Yeah. So I do think, you know, there, there will be, and we've talked about this on the podcast as well, that there will be a, uh, a kind of a shuffling out of, of some of these network providers that are building out these platforms. Not everybody can have a, uh, there, there will be subscription fatigue and not everybody can have a pay service, but Apple TV does continue to be, at least appear to be very committed to making it successful. And you can easily see where uh, you end up with a Netflix, a prime, you know, Disney plus Apple TV, perhaps you end up with, you know, maybe HBO or one or two others. And then, uh, and it will be interesting to see where the other providers end up going. Some of them have deep libraries that they'll be able to leverage, but I'm not sure that they can leverage them as standalone products. So well, and actually, that's an excellent point about standalone because TV is, of course, also a component of the Apple One subscription service. So, you know, even if it if it can't, uh, you know, dominate over Netflix or some of these other services, it it has to have a viable proposition uh, to enhance the value of the bundle, you know, or at least justify help justify the price of the bundle. Yeah, and they're trying to build all of that out. You know, uh, we talked about the HomePod mini introduction last week, and that should help the music subscription service by putting that in more rooms. Maybe we'll start to see some HomePods with screens as well to, to take advantage of the, yes. the videos. I haven't done smart displays yet. Not yet, but uh, maybe more to come. Uh, that's probably a good place to wrap it up. I am Sean Dubrovac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening today.